Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And in case you missed it, it is Father's Day. I know the words Father's Day can stir up a lot of different emotions and thoughts with a a crowd this size. There's all kinds of experiences we're having. For some of you, this is a really great day. And I'm the only thing standing in the way between you and lunch. You're already thinking about how to celebrate dad. But when I think about Father's Day, it's really bittersweet. I've got four amazing children, and so I, I never imagined my heart would be so full of love for them. But when I think of Father's Day, I also remember that my father took off when I was really young. Maybe you can identify with that. Some of you are here, and Father's Day is difficult because you really miss your dad and wish he was still around. For some of you, maybe you never even met your dad. For others, maybe it was so harsh you wish you had never met your dad. For some of you, you're filled with a sense of urgency because you realize maybe there's only a few years left with your dad. Whatever your experience has been with your earthly father, you need to know that God imagined more for you. In other words, even if, even if your dad did his job, he can only take you part way. I read a, a quote this week. It's on Facebook, so it's got to be true. <clears throat> it said, uh, God is the source. Everything else is just a resource. And so in some ways, dads here, the good news is you were never meant to be the strongest thing in your child's life. You should love them well. You should say sorry often. You should be intentional with them. But the goal of your life is not to be everything to them. The goal of your life, dads, is to help your children learn to walk with God as father. And so... Even though Father's Day right now is currently owned by Hallmark, and even though Father's, Father's Day, uh, sometimes we limit our view of how we see God based on what we experience from our earthly fathers, even though those things are true, my hope today is that a result of this message, walking through this story, sharing a bit of my story, my hope today is that you would be absolutely convinced overwhelmed by and drawn up in to the heart of the Father. Two really quick disclaimers as you're turning in your Bibles or swiping on your devices to Luke 15. That's going to be the text we're going to plan ourselves in today, Luke 15. Two really quick disclaimers. This is a very familiar story if you've been around the church at all. Story most of you know is the, the, prodig- the story of the prodigal son, which we'll find out in a little bit actually isn't the best title for it. It's a very familiar story, but don't let that take you out. Don't let that cause you to miss what God wants to say to you today. And the second disclaimer is I'm going to be saying the words sons and father quite a bit, but this message is for everyone here, for men and women, young and old, those with kids and those without kids. It's for everyone here. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we just stop and pause. And thank you for this space. We open up our, our hands and our hearts 
And we say yes to all that you have for us today in this story. Father, thank you for the, for the hope that in these moments we might meet with you and be changed in some way forever. I pray that you would speak to each one of us in a way that only you can do. And God, I pray that you'd be having conversations with us that maybe we didn't even know we needed to have. God, help us hear your voice. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 11. And there's so much we could talk about in this passage, but today I simply want to offer you three observations and ask you three core questions for your life. Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, and we'll circle back around to this at the end of the message, but Jesus is making a point. This is the third in a series of three stories that Jesus is telling. We'll come back to that, but it says, to illustrate the point that Jesus was trying to make, he told this story. A man had two sons... The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. And on the surface, this seems rather harmless, right? Our teenagers are always asking us for money. But if you dig a little deeper into the culture and into the customs and into the nature of this thing, the boy really is, in essence, insulting the father. And he's saying, I want life now to be like it will be like after you're gone. I don't want you around anymore. Being with you has no value to me. Give me your stuff. I want to go. There was no indication of any abuse or harshness from the father. The boy just wanted to do life on his own. Verse 13. So a few days later, The younger son packed all of his belongings. He didn't just take some of it because he was going to be like going away to college and coming home and back and forth. He took all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land. He didn't just move down the street or across the city. The story is he made a point. He went to a distant land. He went far away. And there he wasted not just a little bit, but he wasted all of his money in wild living. And the picture there is literally he scattered it. Everything he had been holding on to was like when a farmer throws grain up into the air and the Chaff is blown away by the wind. Everything that the boy had been holding on to blew away from him. He had nothing left. Verse 14, so about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, and in the Greek that literally means he came to his senses, he came to himself. He had one of those moments where you're walking, you're doing something, and you stop and think, what am I doing? He had that revelation. And he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The younger son, he thought he had everything, but he ended up with nothing. He tried to fill himself up, but he ended up starving, empty. 
he was the son to a loving father who apparently had a wealth of resources, but he ended up alone with strangers who wouldn't give him anything. And I wonder if you can relate to that. I wonder if you've been there before where you've thought something was going to fill you up, you pursued it only to find that it was gone. It didn't do what it was meant to do or what you thought it was going to do for you. I wonder if you've thought maybe your marriage was going to be it. If I just get married and then that's going to be it and I'll be full and complete and satisfied and only to get married and realize it's not all roses, is it? Some of us look to our careers. Some of us look to our sports. Really, what we do is we go and try to fill ourselves up or we do things to try to escape. Those are our two normal patterns. And I wonder if you've been there before and you can experience, you can relate to that. This is a beautiful building right here. Some of you don't know there's a smaller building right over here to the side. Those are our administrative offices and the Brookwood staff works and operates out of there. The admin building is divided up into different departments so the different groups can work together. And I got to tell you, the suite that I work in is the absolute best. People from all over the other departments like to come to our suite. And you'd think it's because of the wonderful people there, but why do they come? It's because of this glorious, lovely M&M dispenser <laughs> sitting right there. I think it's right in the center of the whole suite. It's on this filing cabinet. And this thing is lovely. It holds several bags of loose M&Ms. And it's got this lovely feature where you don't even have to touch it. All you have to do is put your hand underneath the spout and it detects that your hand is there, that you would like some of its glorious goodness and it drops M&Ms into your hand. And if that's not enough, there's a switch on the back that you can set to small, medium, or large. <laughs> nice. So there's moments where I look at that M&M dispenser and I think that's really going to hit the spot. I deserve some of that goodness right there. I've worked all hard all day and I'm going to go and enjoy some of that. And so I'll go to that M&M dispenser on my way out and I'll put my hand under there twice and fill that up. Walking down the hall with my backpack and I put those things in my mouth and it tastes so good. And by the time I get to my car, I'm sitting there and the glorious uh, nuggets from heaven have now turned into a brick. It's like a rock sitting right here. And every single time I do that, my stomach screams out to my brain, what were you thinking? Because I thought that thing was going to be so great. And then you end up feeling yuck. And I wonder if you can relate to that. Not just to M&Ms and to food and to Krispy Kreme, but to stuff in life. Where you've looked for things to fill you up but they haven't. Ravi Zacharias writes these words, the loneliest moment in your life is when you have just experienced what you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has let you down. And the reality is that the farther you move away from God, the farther you move away from the source of life. And the farther you move away from the source of life, not only do you not have what you need to get through the day, but when you move away from God, over time you begin to lose both your identity and your purpose. I wonder if you've been there before. For those of you young people in here, high school, college, there's going to be a moment in your journey coming soon, if it hasn't already, where your curiosity is going to exceed your common sense and you're going to look at something, someone's going to offer you something and you're going to think there may be life there and you're going to try things. But let me just tell you this, 
Every decision you make, whether you're young or old, every decision you make will either lead you into greater freedom or it will take away your freedom. So this younger son is not an example to live by. So you have known this place. In many ways, this story of the younger son is my journey growing up. As I mentioned, my father took off when, when I was young. I was about nine or 10. My mom uh, went back to work full time, and so she was gone quite a bit. And so my sister and I basically raised ourselves. We had no conversations about God growing up. I didn't know anything about Jesus until before I turned 22. I'll keep it rated G for this audience, but let's just say that those, that decade during my teenage years were some very dark years for my sister and I. We looked to everything we could that held the promise of life, and part of it was I was just bored and didn't know what to do with my life, and so I was looking for anything for pleasure, to relieve the pain of not having a dad around. At age 19, my sister, through what seemed like some a, a random series of circumstances, ended up on a parachuting trip. And on a Saturday morning, she missed the pickup time, and so she scrambled to get to this training. She got some of the training in this Saturday morning, and by Saturday afternoon, you jump out of a plane. This was the kind where you weren't strapped to any instructor. You just jumped out of the plane. The parachute opened up for you. So she's standing at the edge of the plane, and she remembers just really one, one or two things that she was supposed to arch her back and face the earth. So she jumped out of the airplane, and she arched her back, and she faced the earth. The parachute opened up like it was supposed to, but she began twirling and twirling and twirling, somersaulting, and she free fell over half a mile and landed in the middle of a field. You thought that would be the end, but the hand of God caught her. This changed the course of her entire life. She was on her way off to college. She had to change those plans. She ended up at a wedding, so she's laid there conscious and her first words were, I feel like a bowl of oatmeal as she laid there on the ground. She ended up at a wedding that she otherwise wouldn't have been at because she would have been away at college. She's at a wedding reception. She's in a two-part body cast from the waist up because of her back, waist down because of broken bones in her lower leg. She's sitting at this wedding reception and a man from across the way that she doesn't know feels bad for her and walks up to her and says, will you dance with me? And he picks her up and he dances with her, and over the next six months, he tells her about Jesus and leads her into a relationship with him. And what's even more fascinating, more striking about that story is that all happened right in front of me, and I still miss God. My heart wasn't open to him, so for three more years, I ran and I ran. There were addictions that I held on to that I couldn't give up. God didn't seem to be the answer. And so for three more years, I ran and I ran and I ran, and my fourth year, in college, my soccer career seemed to be over. My education was a mess. All my relationships were a wreck. I had manipulated people. It was dark. I was at the bar one more time, and I couldn't do it anymore. I was at the end of myself. I said, there's got to be a better way, and then I remembered my sister. I left my girlfriend in that bar. I left my car in the parking lot, and I ran home, and I laid on the floor in my apartment, and my sister and her husband led me to Christ over the phone. See, I'd filled myself up with so much stuff, but I was so empty on the inside. The first observation I want to make from this story and from the story that I'm experiencing as I walk with God as Father, you need to know this, God's heart toward you is good. 
The young boy ran home. Let's see how his father responded. Verse 20. So the young boy returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He hadn't given up on him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And it's as if the father didn't even hear him say that because he was too ready to say this. He said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. It's always a party when you come home. The details in this section are really striking. Let me just walk through them. The father, which was a title used by Jesus well over 150 times in the Gospels. It's his favorite. He was filled with love and compassion. He didn't just have a little bit. He was full of love and compassion toward the son. He said, quick, the father has, because the father had been waiting for this. The father grabbed the finest robe because he wanted to clothe his son with honor instead of shame. He grabbed a gold ring and put it on his son's hand because his son was worth something. Very valuable. And they had a feast. They celebrated with joy. This younger son was coming to know that the the father's heart toward him was good. And the first core question I have for you to consider today is, will you come home? Will you come home? I imagine in a crowd this size, there are some of you sitting here who have been running and running and running, and you're at the end of yourself sitting right here, and you wonder, is there really a place called home? Is there really a place where you can take all of your fears, all of your regrets, all of your decisions, and find life and freedom? Is there that place? Some of you here have done things that you swore you would never do. Some of you have thought things, even as recent as this morning, and said things that you thought would never be true of you. And for many of us, our greatest fear is that we've messed up so badly and wonder if the Father's ever going to take us home again. You ever tried to keep a secret? Something that you know that you did or you thought that you probably shouldn't have done or thought and so you try to keep that secret and hope no one else knows? It's been said that the power of sin is in its secrecy and if the enemy can keep it locked up inside you, what ends up happening is it becomes a cancer. It becomes a disease and eats away at you until you get it out and deal with it. And if that's you today, if you can relate to any of this story, my story, the story of the younger son, if that's you today, and you feel the father coming home, I wonder if you'll open to the door to the idea that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that there's a father who has already seen you running and is running toward you to meet you. I wonder if you'll open the door today to the idea that hope is real. That the church really was supposed to be a soft place. And that it's time to come home. Repentance, in its most fullest, richest sense, 
simply means to come home. The ironic thing is, oftentimes we think it's our brokenness that keeps us from knowing God, but the reality is it's in our brokenness, it's in my brokenness, and I can feel it, are the most sweetest places that God has come and met me, if you'll take it there to him. So my wife and I moved down here uh, almost 12 years ago, and one of the surprising things that we experienced was dropping our kids off in the car line at school. Can you relate? Because when I grew up, we rode the bus. So that was surprising. Another thing that was really surprising was all the police officers in the speed zones around the schools. Some of you may be those police officers. That's good. You should be there. We need you. But one of the most surprising things is I'm dropping my kids off for school is how many parents who, and those may be here, don't, don't email me this week, some of you may be these parents who know that the police officers are there, but you still like to go 40 and 50 miles an hour in those speed zones. And so I decided early on that I wasn't going to get one of those speeding tickets because it's not worth another 50, 60, 70 bucks for me to get my kid to school 45 seconds earlier. I mean, just do the math, right? Uh, and so here I am, minding my own business, doing the speed limit in these speed zones on school mornings. And there's something in me, and I'm not proud of this, I'm not promoting this, but there's something in me as those cars are whizzing by to get their kid to school real fast that says, I hope they get caught. (laughs) Hey, I didn't say I was proud of that. (laughs) The reality is God's not like that. God's not out to get you. God takes no pleasure in having to correct you. He is a good and loving father, and even though we love to have justice done to other people, God doesn't love that. He's not out to get you. God's heart toward you is good, and it's time to come home. And really, this isn't just a question for those who are way out there doing crazy stuff or the the younger son in the story. This question of will you come home is really for all of us because until we end up at home finally for good, all of us wander and stray. And if you're honest with yourself, on any given Tuesday afternoon, you're looking for something to fill you up in a place that will not do it. So this, this question is in some sense for all of us. And yes, it's good that we stay home with the Father and it's good that you don't wander as far away as you used to or stay, as, stay gone as long as you used to. That's good, but for all of us, Tuesday afternoon, ask yourself, is it time to come home? So back to our story because that's not the only place that we live. There's another place that we like to plan ourselves sometimes. Verse 25 Meanwhile, while all that was happening, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? There's a party going on. Why wasn't I invited? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father... This is striking. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends, because you know how we're all dying for a young goat. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. 
We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. See, the the younger son went away. The older son stayed home. He He didn't stray. He lived a life of obedience. It says in the text that he never once refused to do a single thing his father told him to do. On the outside, it looked like he lived a very honorable life. He was doing what he was supposed to do, working in the fields. But on the inside... There was this growing sense of bitterness and resentment and even entitlement. It looks like the older son didn't leave, but I wonder if he was ever really home to begin with. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. God, I'm doing all these great things for you. Why aren't you blessing me? I'm I'm obeying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm feeding the homeless. I'm doing these great things for you. Why aren't you blessing me? Why is that other person getting blessed? And their life's a wreck. And here's the beauty, and this thing stands out to me pretty striking in this story. The beauty is this, and it's my second observation. Not only is God's heart toward you good, but God's heart toward you doesn't waver. What's striking is that the father's love was equally available to both sons. There was no shame for either son. He said to the older son, everything I have is yours, and even begged him to come back in and experience that. Now, there are several several passages of Scripture that we like to quote in the church, and we like to use certain passages of Scripture to communicate certain things. And sometimes we quote them, and we even say really true things, but we use particular Scriptures that end up having a life of their own and don't end up meaning what they were originally intended for. One of those examples is John 14, 6. It's a very popular verse. You can probably complete it once I start it. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we like to use that verse when we're in conversations about faith to tell people that Jesus is the only way. He's the only way of salvation. We like to use that verse to tell people that our answer is right and their answer is wrong. And just to clarify, Brookwood believes that Jesus is the only way of salvation. So we believe that that's true. But when Jesus said those words, he wasn't trying to exclude anybody. He wasn't walking around and saying, oh, you believe in me, you're in. Oh, you don't believe in me, you're out. Oh, you believe in me, you're in. You don't believe in me, you're out. He wasn't trying to exclude anyone. In fact, if you go back and read the passage, it opens up with Jesus saying, there's more than enough room in my father's house. He wasn't trying to use that verse to exclude anybody. He was saying when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he was saying was, I'm the only one coming for you. I'm the only one who loves you unconditionally. I'm the only one who sees what you are and came anyway. Christianity is the only world religion where you have a God who is pursuing you with his love and pursuing you with his love and pursuing you with his love, whose love you can't lose by your performance because it was a love that you didn't gain by your performance. 1 John 4, 16 says that God is love, and in his essence, that's who he is, apart from whether you were created or not. And the reality is you can be sitting here, and you're an atheist right now, and you don't believe in God, but that doesn't stop him from believing in you. 
God is love. It's part, it's who he is. He can't shake it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do anything to lose it. And why is that? Because God's heart toward you doesn't waver. I can remember the exact moment. I can picture it when my love began for Kathy. It's over 20 years ago. We've been married for 20 years, so it's been over 21 years ago now. When my love began, I was sitting on a couch in an apartment with a bunch of Young Life leaders. I had just met Kathy, and ironically enough, I was talking to my dad on the phone, sitting on the couch, this brown couch. I can still picture it. And Kathy had to leave uh, to go to work, and so she was saying goodbye, and I turned around to say goodbye to her. Something in my heart exploded. In that moment, my love began for her. God doesn't have that moment with you. There was no moment when his love began for you because he loves us with a love that has no beginning and no end. There was no start to that. One of my favorite writers, he was a Dutch theologian, he says this, Gerhardus Voss says, the best proof that Christ will never cease to love us lies in the fact that he never began. Jeremiah 31.3 says, yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's heart toward you doesn't waver. And the core question I want to offer us today to think about is, are you so close that you can't see? You ever been to a movie theater and the only seats that were left were the front row and so the screen is like this and you can hardly even see or enjoy the movie? I wonder if you're so close but you can't see. Is it possible, especially for those who have grown up in the church been around the church environment for a while, that the things of God have become so familiar that they've lost their power, that they've somehow lost their spirit or their purpose. And so, like the older son, you're busy doing, 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 either because you're trying to earn God's love or simply because of the pace of our lives that you miss the heart of God. Most of you are doing very good things and you should set your heart to serve God, to take care of your family, to read your Bible, to do all of these things. You should set your heart on doing those things. But if you miss the heart of the Father, you miss everything, everything. And if we're not careful, if we're in that place where we're very religious, but we miss the relationship If we're not careful, there can grow inside of us not only an emptiness, but a growing sense of bitterness and resentment and entitlement, thinking we're not getting what we deserve. But the Father said, look, everything I have is yours. Brennan Manning, in his book, The Furious Longing of God, says this, And the God I've come to know by sheer grace The Jesus I met in the grounds of my own self has furiously loved me regardless of my state, grace or disgrace. And why? For his love is never, never, never based on our performance, never conditioned by our moods of elation or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow or alteration of change or change. It is reliable and always tender. God's heart toward you is good and God's heart toward you does not waver. One final observation, possibly the most striking and meaningful 
observation from this text, and that's that God's heart is that we would become like him. As you read over this story, sometimes we're like the younger son and we need to come home, and sometimes we're like the older son and we need to be overwhelmed by his love and his grace all over again. But really the point of the story is that we would become like the father. If you look at Luke 15, the first two verses sets the stage for the entire chapter. And by the way, in your program, there's a message discussion guide that will walk you through Luke 15. So if you want to take this message and press it deeper into your life, get with God, get with a friend, get with someone and walk through that message discussion guide to consider those scriptures there. But in verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15, it says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. He was safe, so they came to him. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. He was even eating with them. Can you believe it? Jesus then tells three stories, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and then this is the story of the lost son, Really, both sons were lost. And he's talking to these religious leaders, and he's saying, don't miss the mission. He's saying, don't miss the amazing role that you have in the story of God. Don't lose sight of the role that he has for you in telling his story. And so the core question I want to ask from this observation is, who are you becoming? Notice I didn't ask, what are you doing? Because Christianity in its essence is not a series of beliefs that you hold to or a series of things you go do. In its essence, Christianity is a relationship where you walk with God and he changes us from the inside out. And so in some sense, this question, who are you becoming, isn't for everyone here. And if you're here today and you're really wrestling with God and you're wrestling with some core questions, you're not sure if you can trust him. You're processing through some of the things that have happened to you in your life. You need to know that's a good place for you to be. Keep seeking, keep searching, keep asking questions. But for those of us who have tasted the goodness of God, who know deep inside somehow he is who he really says he is. He is inviting us, drawing us to partner with him to help bring healing and restoration to a broken world. Just look at the news. There are people dying, looking for a place to belong, wondering if hope is real. This question of who you're becoming isn't meant to be a weight or a hammer or something heavy. The, the Christian life isn't about, this isn't go do the Christian life better this week. More than, more than anything these days as I'm stepping up on stage or going into a meeting or going to have a conversation with my son, my prayer is, Jesus in me, what do you want to do here? What do I need to know how do you want to be in me so that I can say words that need to be said and help the people around me experience what you want them to experience? It's Jesus in you. The reality is God will not force you to live the life that you were created to live. 
But there's another son in this story, and you may not see him on the surface, but his name is Jesus. And in reality, the father's not sitting on the porch waiting for you. The father saw you and he sent his son. And here's the good news of Christianity. If you will take all of your stuff, all of your fears, all of your anxiety, all of your regrets, all of your decisions, all of the circumstances and consequences that you're living in, and all the longings and good desires that you have, all of that stuff, if you will take that and hand that to Jesus, in exchange, he will hand you his life. The big theological term for that is double imputation. I didn't say amputation. Imputation, double imputation. It's a big theological word, and what that really means is you give yourself to Jesus, and all of your sin and brokenness is imputed to him. He takes it in himself. That's what happened on the cross. And because he rose again from the dead, he imputes to us his righteousness. That's all a fancy theological way for saying if you will exchange your life and he will give you new life and you will become a new creation and you get to become like him. And if you stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to know today that you have the hope of the world living inside you. And there's people all around us who need words of encouragement, who need words from the Father that we would become like him. Here's your Greek, here's your, here's your Greek word for the day. It's ecclesia. Ecclesia, and it's the Greek word that we translate, that's translated church in the New Testament. And it literally means the called out ones. So church isn't a program or a place or a building. Technically, you don't go to church. We are the church here for a lost and broken world. The church is a people. One of the things that we do as a as a church family, maybe you know this, is we memorize scripture together. And every week in your message discussion guide is the memory verse for the week. And this isn't something that you go do so you can feel better about yourself or so that God loves you more. We memorize scripture as a church family so that the scriptures, so that the very word of God can become a part of who we are. And so we put that into our lives and say, God, help me live that out. Help that change me. Help that transform me. This week's memory verse Uh, reminds us that God loves to take that which is broken and make it whole. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 4-7, and it captures a lot of this uh, point right here. And it says this, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. God's heart for you is good. His heart toward you doesn't waver, and he is inviting us. His, his, his plan is that we would become like him. I just want to leave you with one last picture. When I first came to know Jesus, I quickly had to make new friends and get into some different environments because what I was in was not good, and so I, was, uh, I met this guy. His name is Ed. He became my mentor and friend. He died this year at age 75, he was, I was at Marshall University, and he was the leader of the campus ministry, the navigators there. And when I first met him, just, he had just learned my name. He slid his apartment key across the table at Subway to me, and he said, anything I have is yours. Any way I can help you along the journey, you know I'm here for you. 
And for the next six years, he poured his life into mine. He helped me from making these decisions to start making these decisions, to start reading the Bible, to start learning what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And one of my pictures that I want to leave you with here is I remember him after I finished college soccer, I went on to continue playing soccer and Ed would travel around wherever I was playing. And there's one particular time where I can still picture him up in the stands in the pouring, freezing rain in his umbrella, just sitting there watching me. And after the game, I said, Ed, I was a goalkeeper and I was playing with a really good team. I said, Ed, I didn't even hardly touch the ball all game. Why did you stay there? And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Mark, I wanted you to know what it feels like to have a father. That was Ed's heart for me. That is my heart for you, that today you would know what it feels like to have a father. But more than all of that, that is the heart of the father for you. And the only remedy for the broken world that we live in, the only remedy. That's why the soul training this week is to simply stop as often as you can, open up your hands and say, God, help me know your love today. Practice that, get that in there. Let's pray together. God, it is Father's Day and it's a day we stop and maybe get to know you better. And Father, we thank you for not only providing us a safe place to come home, but for sending Jesus to come find us. God, I simply pray that you would help us walk with you as Father more this week than ever before, that you would overwhelm us with your love that you would put thoughts in our mind that we need to know, that you would help us make hard decisions that need to be made about our lives so that we could do everything we can to come to know how great and amazing Father you are. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. There are counselors up front if you wanna talk and pray please feel free to come forward. There's also a care connection room. And if that's not you, it'd be a huge favor if you guys would stack chairs for us. Stack the chairs today. Thank you. Happy Father's Day.